I'm Matt Miller of the Ditch That Textbook Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great educational podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, I, I got a question for you. Do you ever feel stressed, overwhelmed, exhausted, stuck? Or, or, or are you emotionally eating? Uh, you can't sleep. You're mindlessly scrolling the internet or watching TV. You have thoughts uh, racing through your brain all the time. You have a foggy brain even. Not sure if you're stressed? If you experience any of the things listed, there's a good chance the challenge I'm about to tell you about will help you. I have the wonderful opportunity to collaborate with Yin Jimenez of Connect Flow Grow on her new program, the 21 Day Stress Less Challenge. Over the course of 21 days, Lynn will teach you what you need to know about stress, including what it is, how to identify how stress impacts you, and how to use coping skills effectively to actually stress less. Most of us weren't explicitly taught ever what stress is, uh, nor how to reduce it, but Lynn will help all of us. Join by April 16th and enroll in the challenge that begins on April 19th and join her on live Zoom coaching calls where she will help you get grounded and answer all of your burning questions. Go to connectflowgrow.com and use my code Stephen and the number 10, so Stephen10 to save 10% and Teaching Learning Leading K-12 gets a commission. Take care. Get ready to get your stress under control. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Dr. Roseanne Kabana-Hodge. She has been a psychologist for almost 30 years, pediatric mental health expert, the founder and director of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health, and the founder and director of Dr. Roseanne and Associates. Today we are focused on her book, Teletherapy Toolkit, Therapist Handbook for Treating Children and Teens, Why Teletherapy is Needed More Than Ever. Lots to learn today. Thanks for listening. You're going to love this talk. Hey, by the way, it would be so awesome if you took a minute to you know, open that podcast app that you're listening to me on and went in there and rated and reviewed the podcast. Huh? Could you? I would love it if you did. Thank you so much. You're so awesome. Enjoy. Hey, not so long ago, my, uh, my wedding band broke. That's right. And it was unrepairable. Well, that was crazy. And, you know, and... BooneRings.com came to my rescue. That's Boone Titanium Rings. You can find them at BooneRings.com. And uh, by the way, they're now a, an affiliate partner of ours, but I also use them. My wedding band is now one of their rings, and it's really cool. It's laser engraved and has these, these neat stars on it and pistons. But they came to my rescue, and I got to tell you what's really cool, and it's in the name itself. They make titanium rings. This is not going to break, right? <laughs> no way. So not only can you have them personalized, but you can have them engraved, you can have them carved, you can have, uh, you can have them, uh, you know, designs with uh, um, wood, meteorite, stone, precious metals, acrylic, and uh, other inlays. You can also have uh, uh, these neat rings that, uh, I mean, just wait till you see the, the Black Zirconium and Stealth Series rings. I mean, those are just way too cool. And, and you know, and they also make some really cool tool earrings, pendants, and cufflinks. Yeah, Boone Rings is pretty cool. That's right. You ought to go to BooneRings.com. And they're an affiliate partner of ours, which means that if you go to checkout and you use my code, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. So you want to use all caps, T-L-L-K, and the number 12. So once again, you use my code, which is all caps, T-L-L-K, and the number 12. At checkout, you'll get a 10% discount. That's right. And uh, you'll help out the podcast because we'll get a commission. So 
go to boonrings.com. You'll be glad you did. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Dr. Roseanne is a trailblazing psychologist for almost 30 years, pediatric mental health expert, and the founder and director of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health and Dr. Roseanne and Associates. Her Connecticut-based center, established in 2001, has helped thousands of children and adults reverse the most challenging conditions such as ADHD, autism, anxiety, depression, concussion, learning disability, Lyme disease, and PANS and PANDAS. Dr. Roseanne treats these conditions using proven holistic therapies such as neurofeedback, biofeedback, psychotherapy, and nutrition. Using her trademark two-week intensive 360 reboot program, her mission is to teach parents how to reduce and reverse their child's symptoms using proven natural therapies and her book, It's Gonna Be Okay. And of course, the Get Unstuck program, the step-by-step way to change your child's mental health. You know, it gives parents the tools for lasting change. Author of Teletherapy Toolkit, Therapist Handbook for Treating Children and Teens, and, and of course, the first of its kind is a professional guide to virtual therapeutic activities and how to keep kids engaged in teletherapy. She is also co-author of the best-selling book, Brain Under Attack, a resource for parents and caregivers of children with PANS, PANDAS, and AE. Named a thought leader in children's mental health by Forbes, she has been featured on dozens of media outlets such as The Mel Robbins Show, Fox News, CBS, NBC, PIX11, NYC, Cheddar TV, USA Today, Yahoo News, WebMD, Business Insider, Parents, The Week, and The New York Times. Roseanne, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Well, thanks for having me. I am all about supporting mental health for children and their families, and this is a great way for me to do that. Well, I'm glad that you're here, and uh, you know, let's start by talking about you. What brought you into your field? I mean, did you start off as a kid thinking about one day becoming a pediatric uh, mental health expert? Well, Stephen, I actually did. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so what happened to me is I remember being about five years old, and my mom's friend uh, asked me what I wanted to be, and I said a psychiatrist, which was before I realized that psychiatrists are essentially pill pushers, and I wind up changing it to be psychologist. So for me, it really was a calling. I really feel like I was guided to do this work, and it was just always what I wanted to do. Um, and I think the only thing I ever considered was being a chef. Um, <laughs> and I went and worked in a restaurant and said, that's not for me. I'll just cook for fun and make that be my stress reliever. But uh, I just always loved helping people and uh, knew that by my words, I can make people feel better. And as I learned in college, you know, all those techniques, it really was to help that guide them to be the best version of themselves and, and to give um, as I niche down into working with kids and families, you know, really to help them through this awful world of getting support and both schools and uh, just mental health support. It's just not easy for families to find the right kind of help for their kids. Well, and we're going to find out that you have lots of good help for kids. So, yeah. uh, which is really cool and for families. So, you know, good stuff. That's neat though, that you had this thought way back then. I thought maybe you're going to say that you, you liked watching um, peanuts or something. And it, <laughs> uh, 
Anyway. That was Saturday morning, Stephen, right? Like that's when the cartoons were only on right. when, we, when we had religious education at the same time, which was the bummer. But <laughs> oh, oh, but anyway, um, in your bio, I read that you have helped thousands of children and adults reverse the most challenging conditions such as ADHD, autism, anxiety, depression, and others. Could you share a little bit about your practice and what you do to help children and adults? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I have a center in Ridgefield, Connecticut, which is essentially like a suburb of New York City. And we have helped people here in person still during the pandemic, but we also work virtually with people in different capacities. Um, And I have always only ever used holistic therapies in my 30 years in working in mental health. Um, and part of that is because I'm a daughter of Italian immigrants and food was medicine. So that was my orientation. But pretty quickly in the process of working with kids in mental health, and I started out working in the more extreme conditions, working with kids that were in residential treatment centers, I saw that medication wasn't working for these kids. And I also saw the different kinds of therapy because I had the fortune of working in these treatment centers, which were um, structured by age and had different therapists assigned to them. And you got to see what type of therapy worked, what type of therapy didn't work, you know, what were the variables beyond that, family situations, how much TV, what they ate. And it was almost like a study in, in behavior. So. I knew as I started working privately that, you know, I had these kids that were, had layered issues and, you know, what was the standard of care 20 something years ago, which is still today is therapy and medication. A lot of times now it's medication first and then therapy. That's where we're pushing things. And so I would see these kids not only not get better, but often got worse. And so it made me dig deeper and worked with families on nutrition and supplements. And then as the years have passed, more and more kids have deeper issues, much more complex, much more layered issues and treatment resistant resistant issues where straight therapy, behavioral therapy, art therapy, therapy that's more directed towards kids wasn't even working. So then I got into neurofeedback and that just sort of opened up the door to, you know, as many evidence-based therapies. So my center is all about teaching families how to get their kids unstuck. And we do that by regulating the nervous system with brain-based therapies and then coming in with either psychotherapy or coaching to teach, learn new skills. So we can't forget that just because you're regulated and your nervous system is working properly, that you know what to do. And that's where regulate the nervous system, pair it with new learning has been pretty incredible. Um, so I've been so lucky to be part of the healing journey on, uh, with thousands of families for their kids. Very cool, very cool. Some, something that uh, um, pops up a lot in your writings and the different things that I've heard you talk about or, or in your books and such are these terms, neurofeedback, biofeedback, and psychotherapy. Can you give us a kind of a little short rundown of what those are? Sure. So um, many people may have heard of neurofeedback or bio, biofeedback, and, but not know what it is. So biofeedback is the, is, has been here a very long time, like 80 years, and it's conscious control of a fancy word called your autonomic system. So any, any part of your body that you can conscientiously control. So typically they do heart rate, breath, 
skin conduction, uh, temperature, and muscle. And when we teach our body to control those things, most of the time what it does is reduce stress um, and pain um, and improve attention. So, you know, there's a great form of biofeedback called heart math and it syncs your breath and your heart work. So it's easy and you have to be conscious and really intensely do it. Um, Neurofeedback is retraining the brain through the subconscious. So it's very, very powerful because we're almost always in a subconscious state, about 95 to 99.5% of the time, our subconscious is in control, which is surprising to people. So very simply, you are reinforced for producing a healthy combination of brain waves, and you typically done through the use of computers. In our center, we use... Um, and when we work with people remotely doing neurofeedback, they are watching a movie and the movie literally won't play unless your brain produces a healthy combination. And the part that's so shocking to people is your brain with just the reinforcement of this movie playing some other visual and auditory components will instantaneously within two to three seconds produce a healthy combination of brainwave. And it just, it requires training, like building a muscle. Um, And it's used for so many things. There's tens of thousands of research studies, 3000 peer reviewed, and very commonly used for ADD, concussion, anxiety, depression, uh, learning and processing problems, you know, so, and it's used for peak performance too. You don't have to have anything wrong. A lot of athletes do it. A lot of uh, executives do it. The astronauts do it before they go to space. Um, And it really optimizes your thinking. It's pretty cool cool. stuff. And psychotherapy is, we only think of talk therapy. There's many types of psychotherapy. So we do very um, niche down types of psychotherapy. We do ERP which is exposure and response prevention for OCD. We do EFT tapping, we do somatic experiencing, and we just believe that the doing a very specific type of psychotherapy for a specific problem is way more effective. And that's what we see in our results. Gotcha, gotcha. I appreciate you explaining that because the, the terms come up a lot. And so I want yeah. to make sure that we, we got to that. So uh, uh one of the things, you know, let's talk a little bit about your book, Teletherapy Toolkit, Therapist's Handbook for Treating Children and Teens, um, why teletherapy is needed more than ever. Uh, please talk a little bit about what teletherapy is, and if you could also just kind of respond to that last part of the title, which is, why is it needed more than ever now? Yeah, so, um, so you know, teletherapy is what a lot of therapists are doing right now because of the quarantine and um, people having safety concerns about the virus, which is which is natural. Um, and also a lot of schools are in hybrid. So they have to work remotely with their students if they're a school counselor or a special ed teacher or whatever. So therapists were thrown into this. So almost no therapists were trained on how to do teletherapy. Um, So teletherapy is psychotherapy or counseling or, you know, some type of working uh, occupational therapist do teletherapy. There's different, you're working with kids in some capacity to address an issue or a behavior and it's done virtually. It can be done on the phone, but what's happening is Zoom is happening. So people are doing that and it really can be as effective as an in-person session, but 
the people that are, that are controlling the sessions, whether school counselors or psychologists or therapists, they've got to come up with some good school skills to keep these kids engaged, especially because we're spending so much time. So what happened with the teletherapy toolkit is I had, um, I wrote four books during four months of COVID and I finished my third book and I was circling back to supporting my team of therapists. And I realized there was no book ever written ever on, you know, ready to use activities for therapists who are doing teletherapy. And I had been giving my therapists all these tips and activities and they had already been doing teletherapy. So they weren't novices at it. It's just, they were shifting the dynamics of the amount of time they were on it. And so 31 days, I wrote a 420 page book with 180 strategies and techniques and things that are therapeutic to use. And, um, and it's, it's a great resource that really focuses on providing visual engagement for kids and keeping things kinesthetic because talk therapy um, is effective when somebody really can have those cognitive processes and rational thought. And what's happening is we know from, uh, from neuroscience that when your brain and nervous system is activated, you don't process language. You can't take action in the same way. And your frontal lobes, typically, if you're highly activated, go offline. So you're doing talk therapy for somebody who literally can't hear you. Um, and they may be able to regurgitate what you're saying, but they can't take action on it. So that's really that basis of my work to get people to calm down. So when we make things visual, when we make things kinesthetic, particularly kinesthetic for kids, um, that's their language. That's what they need. And it's much more effective therapeutically. So it's a good resource for therapists that are in this world that has ready to use activities broken down by, you know, different areas, whether it's a focus problem or, um, stress, uh, different types of activities. So I really saw a need and really wanted to provide what I knew for other therapists who were having equally as hard time as the kids they were treating. Appreciate you explaining that, you know, and, and as a note, there's got to be plenty of people who say this. Are you sure that uh, teletherapy is, uh, you know, as, as effective as, you know, sitting in front of somebody who's actually physically in the room with you? I mean, what, well, what the research like says it is, Stephen, and I think it can be. So, you know, if you think about therapy, uh, and what's effective in general, it's the same things, right? Is the person engaged and motivated who's coming? Um, and what are the skills and experiences that the therapist brings in, right? So those variables are really important. So seeing kids make progress in therapy has a lot to do with that therapist skill in that problem, that that kid is bringing there, right? And uh, and I think that's really important to realize. So are some people not good candidates for virtual therapy? Definitely. So, you know, kids that are, maybe don't have the same ability to attend for longer than 10, 10 minutes. Um, and that's that means total, because we should be breaking things up and creating action. Um, somebody who's highly, highly activated or in danger of harming themselves, or has some type of impairment that they just can't engage verbally in the same way. So I think there's people that are not as good candidates um, 
for sure. But I also can, I can testify that working with my therapist and doing uh, training for other therapists who really are stepping up their game and really trying to bring that same engagement that they had in a session, because that's really what it's about. It's about keeping them engaged, keeping them moving and making those sessions therapeutic because early on therapists were treating this like a band-aid and they were doing a lot of playing games and whatnot and that's not therapeutic um so you need to bring the fun <laughs> call it engagement but it's fun you need to meet kids where they're at and that's teenagers too you know what i mean so um and that requires planning you know if if you're working in a place where people um their parents have access to supplies you send them a supply list and you tell the parents to get it. If you're working with kids that don't have access to supplies, it means you got to plan. You got to send it to them. You got to think in advance. And so um, that's how therapists can make these sessions just as good. Very cool. So, you know, so your your book's primary audience is um, therapists. It would you therapists, teachers, school personnel, and a lot of parents are buying the book because it's there's a lot of ready to use common sense things, visuals that they can use with their kids. And that's what I was going to ask you. So if you kind of, because part of, uh, part of the book's uh, uniqueness is that it has activities and such in it and uh, different resources. And, and I was just wondering, you know, if someone were to get your book, what, how do they, do they, is it meant to be read front you know, to back or is it kind of? No, it's really a cookbook. So you say, okay, my kids, you know, this child is struggling with impulse control. Go to the impulse control section. What activities are there? My, um, I'm working with a kid with OCD. Go in that section and there's activities in there. So yeah, that's how it's really meant to be used and, and um, can really be a good resource. I was, you know, I was surprised when parents were writing me and saying, this is a really good for, book for me and this is why. And so it was great. That's excellent. That's awesome. So good stuff. Yeah, that's, you know, people in, in need of uh, those types of resources and activities and such. And you put them in a space where it's, you know, this kind of pick and choose, like you said, I'd like that. Um, so, so let's kind of shift gears just a little bit. Let's talk about stress and anxiety and let's kind of build up in this area. Uh, what's the difference between stress and anxiety? Because a lot of times you hear people use them like they're the same thing. Yeah. Well, um, you know, this is a time when people are experiencing both, Stephen, right? And, you know, what is the difference? So stress is a normal response to something that is causing us to feel uncomfortable in some way or activated, right? So um, you uh, are running late and you get anxious and you get a little nervous and your heart rate comes up and you start sweating and then you're like, oh my gosh, and you have worried thoughts. Um, and your nervous system, you know, which your autonomic nervous system controls your body's stress response. Um, and there's a lot of things that happen in your stress response, like in terms of your brain and how it's perceived. And then, you know, hormones kicking in that starts this whole process of, you know, both your hormones being released and neurotransmitters and whatnot it starts off a cascade. Um, but when you are a relaxed person, you, your relaxed state is parasympathetic and a stress state is sympathetic. So when you get stressed, you go into a sympathetic dominant. And if you have a healthy nervous system, it goes back down, okay? 
The problem is we're constantly bombarded with stressors, right? Especially during this pandemic. But I'm going to tell you this is going on way longer than the pandemic. We are all living in America, a very high stress lifestyle, and especially in certain regions of the country, right? Like I live in an area where everyone's very impatient and intense and, um, and you feel it, right? And so what happens, your nervous system starts baseline starts going up and up and up and you have little wiggle room to respond to sort of benign stressors and you start reacting to things. So that chronic long-term stress can cause anxiety, right? And so stress, chronic long-term stress can be a source of anxiety, uh, something that happened, genetics, which is much less than what people think can be a source of anxiety. But what I see happening to kids is they're bombarded with stressors, right? And again, pre-pandemic and now, um, and your body is responding to that. So anxiety technically is defined that you've um, had prolonged periods of, you know, crying, anger, um, restlessness, just a bunch of different symptoms uh, for more than six months. But, you know, really what is it is that anxiety is you're stuck and you have these worried thoughts you, you have uh, emotionality, you have anger, you have these issues that are based in stress and it really is something you're in a hole and you kind of can't get out of it. And I think the other really important thing for people to realize, especially, you know, parents and educators is that, you know, people who have anxiety or under stress or even depression or OCD, they can be and typically are high achievers. And so their grades can be really good. And we shouldn't use grades as a benchmark for mental health. We should be looking at what are they doing behaviorally, right? So are they regressing? Are they having sleep problems? Are they have stomach aches and vomiting and gastrointestinal? Those tend to be some of the biggest behaviors that we see with somebody who's anxious. And, it, and it's... You got to be seeing a lot of it in uh, in kids um, for all different reasons. I mean, the pandemic, prior to the pandemic, I mean, I, uh, you know, there's all kinds of possibilities from different things that happened through families or um, it, testing <laughs> um, situations and all kinds of different issues. I um, we we see kind of a little bit of you know things happening, and then I'm you know the pandemic's kind of being locked inside an apartment or you know, not being able to be with your friends. One of the things we've, you know, we've had a lots of our schools open up over since August. And um, one of the first things that happened was even though you're talking about keeping distance and so forth, the kids ran to their friends. Yeah, of (laughs) course. And, and, and just as a note, the sort of the teachers and administrators, (laughs) they did the same (laughs) thing. So, wow. All right. Yeah. Um, Wouldn't it be great to have a day to renew, rethink, and reboot in these unprecedented times? That's the mission of the Impact Summit. This will be a moving forward, next day, implementable, every learner can be successful kind of day. Register your team today at impacteducationsummit.com. The date, June 23rd, the organizer is Susie Pepper Rollins, three-time author and national presenter. Just head to impacteducationsummit.com for details. What are some signs and symptoms of anxiety in children? I mean, what is, how does it materialize? Yeah. So whether it's a college age kid or a high schooler or a young kid, you know, kids will show us their stress and anxiety behaviorally. And, you know, signs and symptoms are 
things like a regressive behavior. So a younger child, um, maybe all of a sudden wetting the bed or having nightmares when they haven't had them in a long time. Um, you also can see a shift in behaviors where somebody's more emotional or angry or withdrawn, right? We really want to be worried about our teenagers when they're really withdrawing, even though that's natural for them to want to have autonomy. We, if they're not communicating and they're really pulling themselves back to the point where you know something's wrong. Um, for example, um, somebody called this week and they literally said since March of last year, their kid barely will leave their room and is, and is barely showering. Well, that's a problem. So, um, and you know, we shouldn't, you shouldn't wait a year <laughs> for that, right? I think a lot of times we, we feel really immobilized. And then, then the other ways that kids show um, their stress and anxiety is having physical problems, as I mentioned before, like gastrointestinal or sleep issues are very, very common um, for anybody who's struggling, um, and having, you know, chronic fatigue too, right? So a lot of our college kids have been very hit hard. High schoolers and college kids out of all the ages, I think struggle the most because as what you talked about, they're missing their friends. Um, and I know a lot of college kids that went off to college and then literally are sitting in their room doing virtual classes and they're maybe a freshman. I couldn't even imagine going to college as a freshman um, we, we had some kids doing internships with us because they chose not to go to college, smartly so, because they knew themselves and knew that it would be quite depressing for them. So lots of college kids uh, I saw struggling very much with depression due to the isolation. Um, and then there are kids that are thriving in this too, but um, that's not the norm. And I think what everyone is really seeing right now in this pandemic wall period is lots of difficulties focusing, um, and incredibly low motivation. Those are the two things that I am hearing on every parent's lips. That, you know, and it's, it, oh my gosh, I, you know, it's one of the things that uh, you're talking about there really hits home. I mean, I can't imagine what my world would be like if I had been in college and told that, oh, you can't go to class, you can't go anywhere on campus, you just got to sit in here and do your <laughs> talk to the TV. No fun <laughs> stuff, no freshman <laughs> fun stuff that we got to do when we went to college and, oh and, and to have that freedom and not also not really getting to meet new people. Right, which know? was which is a big part of it. It's so social. I mean, so it, part of it. And, yeah, uh, I can't imagine that. And then when you you come back into this into uh, regular school age kids, you know, once again, a big part of it is being with your friends and your buddies and doing dumb things like trading your your apple for you know some chips or something <laughs> like that. You know, <laughs> but you did what? <laughs> You know, I give you your lunch for no, not that I yeah. did this, um, but anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you didn't do that. No. Yeah. <laughs> right. But just, you know, exploring your limits and going out and having fun and doing all that other stuff and making your own choices. Right. And, and so, so much of control is taken away from kids in this developmental period where they should be. And, you know, managing these disappointments have, has been hard, you know, I I can imagine because, you know, it's, it, to steal a line from a movie, I'm in college, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's that, that freedom aspect that you're talking about that uh, um, they, they experience those things where now they've got all these, you know, 
I just, it's just not the same. It's just no. like, it, even being no. in a class where you physically are in a class with other people in that class and you, you can't really experience, there's nothing better than uh, um, the, uh, I'll never forget this. Um, I'm in, at this time, I'm a junior in, on my way to getting my, my um, degree in history. And uh, so you're in these more advanced history courses and the professor who uh, had a great name, fit very well with the, the European history that we were studying at the time. And uh, um, this young lady who was brand new walked in that day and uh, everyone's like, because most of the history majors, by the time you get to your junior, senior classes, you know everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, and everyone's like, who's the new new person? And then anyway, before class got, as class started going, and he was a gentleman who, he started on notes and you just, you just followed. I mean, all you had to do was you just have pen, have pencil, have journal out and you write. <laughs> and once in a while you ask a question and that's pretty much it. And uh, he had this unique way of talking where he kind of, would talk like that and you wanted to finish his sentences for him and so you didn't know what was coming next and he she raised her hand and so he turned and he said yes <laughs> and she said do we have to take notes <laughs> and he looked at her and he smiled and he went back to talking and never answered her question <laughs> um shortly after that she discovered that she was in the wrong classroom. She was a freshman supposed to be in the history class. that was down the hall. That was an introduction, <laughs> um, which we were saddened by the fact that we didn't have someone new in the class, but you know, even that experience, cause you know, the whole class, grew. Right. it's like, Oh my gosh, she asked if we have to take notes. What? The, yeah. So on TV, on a, on a zoom link, it's a, you don't experience that. <laughs> you don't get to experience that, you know, and you're supposed to be doing stuff like besides the classroom in college, yes. you know, yes. and that's what they're really missing out on. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's the, so all of that uh, compiling there, I can only imagine. You know, let's talk about, uh, you know, what are, what are four things that a therapist can do right now to help an anxious child? Yeah. So um, I use something called the REPS protocol and the REPS protocol is something I use with kids. I use with organizations to help walk them through really simply how to mitigate you know, the effects of stress. Um, and REP stands for respirate, envision, um, positivity, and stress management. And so for me, everything starts with breathing. That's what respirate is. And, you know, no matter what age you are, what income bracket, and how much time you have, right? Those are the big barriers to people saying, oh, I, I, I can't do this. Well, breath work is free and easy, and you just have to actually do it, right? So, I love a four, seven, eight breath, and that's breathing in for four seconds, holding for seven, and then exhaling for eight. And what that does is it really helps to get you into that relaxed parasympathetic state. And again, once you do that, you're much more capable of taking action and having rational thought, right? So our kids are really activated. I mean, I think one of the things that's going to happen is uh, I've been saying this a lot is that, you know, we need to, on a national level, going back into school and right now is there needs to be some type of daily stress management uh, that teachers are leading. We need to support our teachers and we need to also support our students. And this is just dual purpose it. So start with breast, breast work. 
um, and then envision. So envision and positivity I tie together and it's really visualizing and seeing successful outcomes. And we often are so negatively focused and sometimes it's because we're parented that way, but our brain is designed to see negatives, to see what's different, but our brain will believe what we tell it. So if we say positive things out to ourselves, so in envisioning and then positivity, if we say positive things and we see it, it is really quite remarkable what you are capable of. Your, your brain only puts limits on what you tell yourself. And so by having kids and saying, okay, so you're, you know, you're stressed, you breathe, you're stressed, where's your happy place? Okay, my happy place is the beach. Let's visualize the beach. Let's, you know, you know, talk out loud about positive things. And then the last part of stress management is really picking a technique and using it every day. I think people are not realizing how compounded our stress is even before the pandemic, but wow, have we been hit with some doozies in 2020 and now 2021. And you have to take 10 minutes a day. If you're not taking 10 minutes a day, your nervous system is really never getting a chance to relax. And I equate it to rebooting a computer. So I'm the worst culprit. I have like 53 tabs open and I never want to turn my computer off. But when I do, <laughs> it updates and cleans up and then works faster. So we need to do that for ourselves. And it really can be simple. It can be just sitting down and doing breath works and following that reps protocol. It's very powerful. And I like to, this is what I've been doing my whole life, right? In, in certainly my adult life and, and really using the breath and lots of visualization and positivity. And this is what successful people do. If you talk about top entrepreneurs, um, this is what they do. You think Elon Musk says, um, I'm, this is going to be a terrible design and I'm not going to do it. No, he's like, this is going to be the best design ever. And we're going to do this, this, and this. And he says it out loud and, and it literally happens. And, you know, it's not hokey. Our brain will believe what we tell it. So tell it good things, not bad things. And we need to do this with our kids and for our kids, but also for ourselves. Very cool. It makes, it makes so much sense because it is easy to get caught up in that negative uh, thinking the worst. And, uh, so easy, so easy. And especially, you know, if you are in a cult, you know, like a family or a work environment or have friends that are really negative, um, it's just so easy to flip that, you know, that way. And but what I want to say to people is just as easy to change that dialogue. You just have to actually do it right? You can't wish it. You have to gotcha. do it. Gotcha. That makes, that makes perfect sense. So let's kind of use this to kind of, you know, um, swap into this kind of thought here. Uh, can, can you share some thoughts about how to talk to children about the coronavirus and managing disappointments? Cause it, uh, you know, talk about causing anxiety and anxiousness and all kinds of stuff, uh, a little bit of stressors there. Yeah. So when it, you know, teaching kids about managing disappointment and, and having outcomes that make you feel uncomfortable or things you don't like, you know, it starts with all those little moments, right? And so part of that starts with a parent or a teacher role modeling good ways to manage uncomfortable feelings and disappointment. So, you know, you have an opportunity every time something 
happens badly in your life to show your kids, right? Like, oh, I broke, um, I recently broke a plate, right? I've, ha- I've actually had my wedding plates for like 25 years, which is crazy that I still have these just simple false graph plates or whatever. We're on the, the final ones and it broke. And I, and I talk about it like, oh, these are my plates, you know, whatever. It's hard. You can't really replace them. And my kid broke it. And I was like, you know what? Guess it's time for a new set, you know? And I used it as that instead of getting angry and getting stressed at it. And we, we had a good laugh. Um, our family culture is to have laughs and kind of have fun and it certainly makes it easier. Um, but it was my opportunity to show him how to manage disappointment, right? And those things build those skills in our kids. So um, certainly when kids do things intentfully, right? Um, or I should say intentionally and they break things or, or, or you know, we want to have a different response. But that's how we teach kids on how to cope. We show them, we show the human side of it. You know, you can say, oh, this makes me feel sad, but it's okay. And you can talk about alternatives with your kids, right? And that's what I did. I was like, okay, here's what it is. We want to reinforce coping skills. We want to emphasize problem solving because one of the biggest problems we have today in parenting that I've seen in 30 years is we are not teaching our kids to be autonomous and independent. We are over-parenting and helicoptering kids. So they go off to college and they don't know how to take care of themselves. And they actually don't know how to cope with stress. So the little moments reinforce those coping skills because boy, do they make a difference today and in their life in the future. So let's look toward the future. Uh, Roseanne, what do you think will be the long-term impact of the pandemic on children? Yeah, I mean, you know, here's what we know about kids. Kids can be incredibly resilient. And as I mentioned earlier, a lot of it has to do with how parents are modeling coping. And so kids that have a higher level of stress in their life, and and these are going to be really serious stressors like, you know, safety, financial instability, you know, uh, living in abusive uh, household, they're going to have a harder time getting through the pandemic because they have stressors that are incredibly real. Um, Not that all of us aren't experiencing this real stressor right now, but it's different when you have those kind of stressors, right? These are, these are stressors that can create trauma in a child. So having kids, you know, using this time to recalibrate as a family and bring lifestyle changes uh, into your family that focus on mental health and physical health will help them. Um, And, you know, just in prior experiences of different terrible experiences, right? Um, I did a lot of work with Sandy Hawk. I have an office uh, in Newtown, Connecticut. And, you know, I could tell you that the kids did incredibly well um, getting through this because they get a lot of help. Um, and there was a lot of generous support offering mental health, but the kids that struggled the most were when their parents had, uh, their own struggles, right. Uh, maybe a prior trauma or they had a clinical issue that, uh, made it harder for them to get to it. So get through it. So what you bring to the table in dealing with a stressor or a trauma is what determines how you're going to get through it. So I do believe kids are resilient and I do see parents as overwhelmed as they are. They are doing a great job. I think they're trying so hard. They're trying to do a lot of love um, and, you know, lots of TLC, 
focusing on coping skills and a lot, you know, a lot of hugs and communication are really going to help kids be okay. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. You know, um, Roseanne, before we close, is there something else you'd like to talk about? Do you got something else coming up? You got uh, um, something you'd like to share about? Yeah. So I actually have a few things coming up. So uh, first, my next book, It's Going to Be Okay, and it's a resource guide for parents about how to reverse their mental health. That's coming up, coming out in May. Um, and that's something that you know every parent should have as a resource whose kids uh, might have special needs or challenges because uh, really I walk people through on how to reduce and reverse these symptoms. But before then, we have an amazing free summit called the Get Unstuck Parenting Summit. And it's April 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Um, And it's getunstucksummit.com. And people can just sign up for free and, you know, get amazing information from some of the top experts in the world around kids' mental health and education. Um, So I'm super, super excited. And then um, also, too, I talk a lot about coping and parents using words to help their kids cope. And I have an awesome download that's free for people. It's um, called, you can go to uh, teleTherapyToolkitbonus.com and you can get a free download that has over a hundred statements that parents can use with their kids. Um, and I have a lot of parents telling me they're printing out two copies and keeping one in the car and one in the kitchen. And it's just those little words that you can help your kids be more independent in how they manage stress, which is really going to help build that resilience. And that's the key to mental health. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. And I'll make sure that that information is in our show notes. And, and, and just as a note is um, if someone wants to learn more or uh, get in connect, uh, connect with you, what, where would you send them? Where do you want them to go? They can go to www.drrosan.com. So D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N.com. Excellent. And I'll have that in the show notes as well. So uh, I got one last question for you, Roseanne, and it goes like this. Um, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference for you? If so, if you had a chance to say thank you, who would it be and what would you say? Wow. Did I have a teacher that made a difference for me? I've had a lot of teachers that made a difference for me. And I would say, wow, like when I think about being young, I I think about um, probably my kindergarten teacher who just really helped us to have fun and feel good about ourselves. Right. And also didn't um, try to restrict us moving out of our seats. This was the seventies. And (laughs) so I would say, Thank you for that, because I should preface it by saying I'm a preschool dropout because I made my mom take me out. I asked my mom to take me out of preschool because it was a half day program and they wanted us to nap. And I said, Mom, it's half day. I don't need a nap. And she was like, "Okay." And she brought me in to talk to them. And I said, hey, they said, we really want you to stay. We're going to make the teepee. And I said, "Uh, do I have to take a nap? And they said, yeah. I said, okay. And my mom said, you don't have to go. It was pretty awesome. So when I went into to kindergarten, into kindergarten, you know, she let us move. I wasn't a hyper kid. I just didn't want to take a nap. So I was only there like two and a half hours and they're making me lay down for like a half an hour. It's like, what is this? I'm getting gypped. So I could be at home with my mother making pizzas and some other fun stuff. So, so I'd like to say thank you to her. Very cool. Very cool. I, 
uh, just as a note, what's, what flew through my brain was, are you going to have a book coming out that says, uh, I was a preschool dropout? <laughs> I really should have a book called, I was a preschool dropout, and I got my doctorate early. How about that? So there you go. It's not a correlate. There you go. That's, that's, that's awesome. We could put that all together I like that. I graduated early for my doctoral program, a whole year early. That's awesome. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so today I've been talking with uh, Dr. Roseanne Kapana Hodge and uh, Roseanne, thank you so much for talking with me today. Uh, I mean, what an awesome calling you have. Um, thanks for sharing about your book, Teletherapy Toolkit, Therapist Handbook for Treating Children and Teens, Why Teletherapy is Needed More Than Ever. Your thoughts about kids and anxiety are much needed and I'm wishing you the best in all that you do. Well, thanks for helping me support children's mental health. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.